Hello again and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged, the cycling podcast that's not afraid of a topical detour, or in this case, a retour, because for the first time I'm welcoming back a guest for the second time, and that guest is Mr. Ben Healy, but for the sake of clarity, I think I'm going to call him Ben Healy too. Now, what can I tell you about Ben Healy too? Well, since we last spoke about 18 months ago now, he's become a bona fide absolute superstar of pro cycling. He's still riding, of course, for EF Education Easy Post, and he's achieved so much in such a short amount of time that his team name hasn't even had time to change. We chat about that magnificent stage win at the 2023 Giro d'Italia and how he shook Thibaut Pino's hand, then attacked him again for good measure and we find out why on earth he did that. We also go over the familiar ground of the Dudley Quiz. Can Ben Healy 2 beat Ben Healy 1? Stay tuned to find out. And the RQG, the Random Question Generator, is back with a super-powered related doozy. So, if you like taking the same route to work every day, or wearing the same jeans two days in a row, or hooking up with an ex, this is the podcast for you. Because this is the Ben Healy 2 episode. Podcast. Ben Healy first appeared on episode 66 of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged in February 2022. Back then we chatted about how he'd had an impressive start to his career, from winning a stage to the Tour de l'Avenir, right up to becoming the Irish National Road Champion at the tender age of just 19. We also talked about his goals for the upcoming first season in a World Tour team, but so much has changed since his breakthrough season. Now Ben is a Giro d'Italia stage winner and one of the most exciting breakaway riders in the peloton, with absolutely no regard for the unwritten rulebook. We chatted about his racing style, how it felt to win big at the Giro, and his big goals for the second half of the 2023 season. Check it out. Look at that, we've had the countdown, um, and for the first time, in Matt Stevens' unplugged history, it's over well over a hundred episodes, roughly. Um, we've got somebody back for the second time. It's Mr. Ben Healy. Yeah, hi guys. It's uh, good to be back, and uh, it'll be a nice podcast for you guys. Yeah, no, thanks very much, Ben. No, in all seriousness, mate, I was looking back. It's only just over a year ago we spoke. I think it was March or April, yeah, or something like that last year, and. I'm going to be talking to the same person, but so much has changed in a relatively short period of time. I thought it would be remiss not to have a chat with you, mate, because we've, and it'll be slightly different. We don't, we're not going to go back in time again. We're going to keep it firmly in the present, if that's okay, mate. But um, before we do that, um, could you just describe, well, I can see a little bit where you are, because for the first time we're doing this on, on video to add a little bit of depth. So where, where in the UK are you, mate? Uh, I'm, I'm back home in uh, Birmingham, Starbridge. And, it's, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm in my little spare, my pod room, um, but your blue sky, it is um, absolutely gorgeous. Have you had time, mate, uh, to reflect on, on what's happened this season? Because I know you've, you've been in the press a lot. There's a lot of media stuff around what's gone on this year in terms of your success. You've sort of gone from strength to strength, and we're only in June. Um, have you had a chance to really reflect on, on how well you've done this year, mate? Yeah, I mean, maybe not fully yet. Um, like I started this this year with like a, kind of a, an out there goal to try and win a stage of the Giro, um, and yeah, and then the team gave me the opportunity to ride the Giro, and but then everything else that has come along along with that has just been absolutely surreal to me. You know, like I know I put the hard work in, but 
to actually get to get to where I have is uh, yeah, I've, I've surprised myself as well as uh, a lot of people in the cycling community. I think. Hi. Really sorry to interrupt my own podcast. Now, poor Ben was having big Wi-Fi issues when we were trying to record this pod, so I asked him to move from the sunny comforts of his parents' back garden to position closer to the router, and he chose his childhood bedroom. Now, the gremlins in the system meant we missed some of the recording, so I'll fill you in now. Ben had no posters of cyclists on his walls as a kid, and when I asked him if he likes racing in terrible weather, he quoted the legendary, iconic Sean Kelly, who said... When the weather is real bad, you know you're only racing half of the peloton. Okay, that's all. Resume pod. Just sort of to get to get us back into our stride again, we were me and Niall, our producer, were chatting the other day about this podcast, and then Niall messaged me and said, um, "Matt, I had a head a headmaster at school called Mr. Healy," and I was like, "What? My headmaster was called Mr. Healy," and I'm just wondering if did you have a head teacher at, at school, Ben? Do you know what that, can you remember what the name was? Oh, I, I wish I could say, yeah, but <laughs> I honestly can't remember. I knew he was called Ben, so, but I can't remember his second name. He was called Ben? Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, he was called. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. We, were, we, we thought it would be like a million to one shot if your, if your head teacher was called Mr. or Miss or, or, Miss or Ms. Healy, uh, but clearly uh, calling them Ben. Well, that's great. Do, do you... Remember, I don't know because you're only a young, you're a young man still, 22, same age as my lad actually. But do you remember? Did you, have you heard of Grange Hill? I'm not sure, no. Well, we're just going to play some music to you, just to see if you do remember it, because a lot of our listeners will remember Grange Hill. It was basically a kids' TV show from the 1980s, late 70s, even no, no, early 80s, uh, that I, I watched as a kid. And it had a wonderful opening sequence, like a cartoon comic strip. And then this fork flies in and steals a sausage. Do you want to just play it? Um, no. There you go. It's a simpler time, Ben. Anyway, so did that ring any bells? Uh, I can't say it did, no. <laughs> but that's pretty amazing. So two Heelys and a Ben. So I, I think that's almost like a perfect um, head-teacher triangle that we've um, weirdly... Um, got on board there right back to after this uh, that brief Grange Hill interlude back to the um the Giro d'Italia so the stage that you were talking about Ben when you went a little bit you it was the stage to Lago La Cena wasn't it stage four yep yeah um um where you went a little bit you said you went a little bit mental or you said a little bit you, you were like a Duracell bunny I don't think I've ever seen anybody attack with such frequency in the opening 30 minutes of a race, it was, it was, it was insane. I mean, you were a man on a mission, weren't you? Yeah. So it was, um, I, I, this was a big goal for me going into the Giro and, uh, I wanted to go for pink and I was in a perfect position to, to try and go for pink from the breakaway. And I didn't want to let that opportunity slip. But one thing that I have learned over the past couple of months is you, sometimes you've got to be, be willing to lose it before you, before you win it. And like, and that day I, I really wasn't willing to lose it. And because of that, I lost it. Um, yeah. So, and I got, got too excited attacking, attacking too much. And then everyone sees that you want to be in the break. And yeah, it felt like everyone was following me a little bit. And then, yeah, it got to a point where I just hadn't had no gas left and the break went away easily. So, um, yeah, a bit of a mistake and, 
bit of a disappointment for me, but you know, it was it's a long stage race, and there was still still plenty more opportunities. Yeah, I mean, like I, I was because as you know, I was there with Ned Bolting uh, commentating on the race, and and I remember seeing a social media post by EF uh, Education Easy Post afterwards saying that it was. You weren't exactly, there was a lot of people following you, but when you've got the results that you've got this year, you know, fourth in Liège, second in Amstel, second in Brabantse, and then like wins as well um, earlier in the season, knowing what you can do on your own, I mean, you're not going to just be allowed to just float up the road. So that, that is that something that you're finding a little bit frustrating or is it just put, or, or part and parcel of who you are now? You've, you're an established, very well-respected rider who's moved up through the ranks very, very quickly. And that is, you, you're not going to be given the same freedom as you were maybe a few a few months ago. And it's quite a quick shift, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's frustrating. It's just uh, something different that I need to adapt to. And uh, sometimes I forget that a little bit, especially, you know, the, the way that I've always gotten to breakaways is kind of just, yeah, being a bit of a headless chicken and uh, attacking here, there and everywhere. And and now I need to start start really uh, thinking about it more and um, yeah go with the right moves and and picking a few key spots to to really give it everything and and try break break away from the peloton and not just tow people with me. Yeah, because um, some of the some of the stages, um, especially and in last year's Giro as well, I've noticed it. This year's Giro too. The breaks are taking a lot longer to go clear on some stage. There's some stage where you know it's going to be a sprinter stage where only one or two riders go up the road and you know that they're pretty much 99% going to be doomed. But there are a lot more opportunities for breaks. And there's statistically, although I don't have the numbers, but just anecdotally, a lot more breaks than previous years because of this, the stage profiles and the, the lack of, of sprint teams to a degree. Uh, the breaks are more successful. So therefore, they're a lot harder fought for. I mean, I'm... Um, Again, I hope you don't mind me mentioning the fact that we were chatting to um, Derek G the other day and you were in the break. When you ultimately won on stage eight, that break did go clear. But God, it took the intensity of that first hour must have taken a lot out of you, although you still saved something for the end. But that must have been ridiculous. Yeah, I, it, was a, it was a pretty hard first hour. But uh, yeah, thankfully I had Derek there because Derek was uh, super strong in that break. And uh, yeah. <laughs> And really, really pulled the brake on the flat as well to to hold off the peloton. Um, so, yeah, it was just the four of us guys turning for for what felt like forever. And you know, you can only really ride it at the pace that you can ride it. And the the peloton behind you just have to hope that they they sit up and and finally give up chasing us. Because you know, when the, if the peloton's going full board, then they're they're gonna pull back four guys if they're wanting. Um, and yeah, we just kept turning, kept turning, and eventually a few guys jumped across to us and. And the peloton was happy, so yeah, that was a, a a good feeling when they got across. And I was like, well, we can uh, relax now." But yeah, there was always in the back of my head, you know, we've just put in a big effort now, and these guys are, are probably going to be a little bit fresher than us. So, what was there any point when you were in that first hour? Because again, with this flag to line coverage that we've got now, and we're able to commentate and dissect it a little bit, a quarter of an hour, half an hour. You, and then you still haven't properly gone. But then when it was an hour and pretty much 55 minutes to an hour before the other guys came across, you've then start, got to start thinking, I was looking at it thinking, this is going to have taken so much out of you four guys. Um, so what was going on with it from the team car behind? Were you given a little bit of advice or were you still going full gas? Or what were you what were you thinking? Was there a point where you were thinking, we're going to have to pull the pin here, this is unsustainable? Or what were you... 
what were your thoughts the, in the later stages before it finally went clear? Yeah, I mean, it's just we've committed now. You know, we've put in all this effort. There's no point in just letting it go to waste, I think. And um, it was just keep pushing, keep holding the pace that we was holding and uh, just, just hope that the peloton finally gives up you know because the peloton behind is still having to put in a pretty big effort as well because yeah we were we were shifting so um yeah we were just just hoping and praying that that they would sit up and hoping that the towns the yeah, we could block the road road in the peloton behind and help us get a bit bit away but yeah it was quite wide roads as well so that never really happened and yeah, we was just just hoping, hoping that the, the peloton would stop, and eventually it did. So it made made the efforts worthwhile. Yeah, and then of course the then again, I'm I'm gonna lay over Derek's in, interpretation. He was saying that his his power file was for the first hour around about 400 watts for the first hour, um, and then once the break established itself and it swelled, then the pace dropped off a little bit. But then the back half of the race was back up. So would you say for you as well, it you felt that that similar shift so hyper intense settled middle part and then when you went away obviously you, you were you were full gas for the for the last hour and a half for that 50k or that that hilly finishing circuit yeah exactly it was uh super intense chilled in the middle you know and then just yeah full gas again once you hit the circuits i but following your win on that stage mate to Fossombrone, um i i was meandering around after after the stage and um bumped into matty breschel and and thought, oh, I'll have a quick word, and obviously passed on my congratulations about your win. And then I said, Did, "Was it a plan for <laughs> for you to go with fifty k's to go?" And he said, "No, I, I told him to hold back, but you just went." So, just can you explain from your perspective the thought process about going so long? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I understand it, but just be nice to hear your point of view about your decision making process, whether it was more planned or whether you felt that it was the best idea to go early. Ultimately, you won by a handsome margin. But just at the moment you decided to go, can you explain what your rationale was, mate? Yeah. So I'll take you through the whole process. So before we we hit the the, the circuits, it was uh, TJ in the, the car behind me. And like he, well, I'm going back to the car, and we're just having a bit of a discussion of of what the plan is. And he wanted me to try and kind of make an alliance with uh, Bargi for the because he was still kind of up there in the GC, and he knew if I could get away with him, then we could kind of lean on him to work. But uh, yeah, I didn't like that plan, and I said I want to uh, like, what do you think about attacking on the on the first climb? And they and they basically said, Ben, I absolutely don't attack on the first climb. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah but i i kind of to and fro to the car and i was like i don't tr- i i i didn't really like i didn't fully believe in his plan you know and i thought if there was that seed of doubt there i just needed to go go with my gut and uh yeah i i backed myself to to do a, a time trial for that long especially in a, a group that's had to fight hard to make the break and like you see so often in uh, Grand Tours where you get one rider up the road or a couple of riders up the road and, and behind they can't decide who's going to do the work. And I was kind of banking on that a little bit. And yeah, we, we get to the first climb and I, fo- I found it pretty comfortable towards the top. And I just wanted to test the legs a little bit. And, you know, if someone came with me, someone came with me, that was fine. And if I went solo, I was also happy to do it. And yeah, that's what I did. I, I tested the legs and... And Scoins almost made it there, but he uh, crashed on the descent. And 
and yeah, then that was that was me alone for for fifty k, and uh, from then on, it was just a, a time trial and uh, my best paced effort to the finish. Yeah, I mean, it was it was brilliant to watch. It was, I mean, it's fair to say that it was audacious, you know, um, an audacious move. But it was done with clearly with confidence, and um, and when you look at what you'd done up to that point, um, not just this season, but obviously this season, you know, getting up there um, in you know in big, big races, mate, must have given you a, a renewed sense of belief. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what I was trying to look at was the way that you were riding that parkour. And you're a lighter rider. And although you're ridiculously aerodynamic and, and fast on the flat, how are you? How were you pacing it? Because it's not just a linear effort on, on a course like that. You've got to make, try and create gaps where science is on your side as well, haven't you? You know, like push hard on the climbs, a little bit easy on the descents. How did you break? Because it's such a complex circuit. That was, I rode it on, on my bike uh, on the morning. I thought, this is really quite a punchy circuit, let alone the, um, the the other parts of it. But can you just deconstruct your pacing strategy a little bit? Because that really does intrigue me. And it's something that I never really thought about when I was a rider. We didn't, we just went full gas really, and then we just blew. So we, we never really thought about where's the best point on a circuit or on, to actually apply power depending on your weight and your aerodynamics and stuff like that. But increasingly that is part of the science of, of this beautiful sport, isn't it? So if you know what I mean, if you can just deconstruct that, that strategy for us. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really pushing it to the, to the limits on the climb um, yeah. of what I could do for the duration. Yeah. So obviously the, the first climb we just raced um, and it was pushed to the limit. And then, then I was solo after that first climb recovery as much as possible on a descent. And between the between the climbs, and I was thinking, if the group behind me comes back a little, then that's fine. You know, I, I just need the rest, and then so I can push real hard on the next climb. And the next climb was like twenty minutes, just over, I think. And yeah, it was just push full gas to the top, really. You know, do the best twenty minute effort I could, and then really take the recovery on the on the downhill. Because I always think if if they hear the time gaps going out and they're pushing real hard then that's going to disconcert them as well. You know, yeah. they're not going to want to want to chase me as hard. And, uh, but then I know that I've done a pretty big effort to the top and I can just relax on the, on the descent. And yeah, I, I had the luxury of uh, like a two minute time gap over the top. So then I could really just take it easy down the descent. I wasn't pushing out of any corners or through corners. I was just trying to ride smooth and, and recover. And then once I got to the flat, I still had like a, yeah, in between a minute and a half and two minutes. So it was just a, a matter of, of rising a, a, a fast tempo and to the last climb. And but so I'd still have some some gas to go up the last climb like hard if I needed to. And and yeah, that was it really. Um that's how I paced it. No, no, it, it, I thought that was what you were doing, that you could you could tell that. And and again, it's funny having been retired for ten years and wishing that I'd you know, we'd had the more in intelligence about how we we kind of when i say intel i mean the, the science the kind of data to look at the best places to to attack and ride because i used to waste energy left right and center try and go and, and and as you get older you kind of just by mistakes you kind of know ah that's not such a good place to attack but now you've got you've got all the you, you can be you can be smart can't you? you've got you've got so much fuel in the tank 
you know what you what power you can put out and you know that once the road tilts up to a certain percentage if you go full there and save it elsewhere that's where you're going to make your gains and and it was really really and we had a long time to reflect and look at the way you were riding and where you clearly were pushing where the chain was super tight and you were going for it it was it was magnificent mate now at, at what point did you finally think yeah i've got this in the bag because even with a big gap you, you, you always see it riders looking over their shoulder in the finishing straight just in case just in case but what was the point ben when you knew that you were going to win that stage yeah i think when i was i was halfway up that seat climb and it was still a big gap and i could still feel the legs were real good yeah um yeah that, that's when it started to settle in really because yeah, I, I had the big gap, and there was there was no way that I was coming back on the descent after after that. If I still had over a minute, and from then on, I could just yeah chill, chill out and enjoy it to the finish, which is uh yeah, it was a, it was a good feeling. That's fantastic, mate. That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, there was a lot of people behind you, um, and I must admit, I am um, blow me on trumpet. I remember riding around it as I said previously, and I thought this has got Ben Healy written all over this, and um, I did. I thought. And I went online and thought, Ben's going to win today. And you did. So I should have put some money on you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, but then this attacking, you know, the, then you had a, a couple of steadier days and you, you've got another second place. But then you found yourself by virtue of being in a lot of breakaways, mate, um, in the mountains jersey. Okay. Now, what I want to do is is firstly, uh, the, the day where you, I think it was the day to Trechime. Um, so the three days, what stage nineteen? That uh, that day where you miss—I don't know whether you, you didn't get well, you missed, you weren't in the move, but you tried to chin across that five-minute gap. Can you talk to me about that? Because I was a lot of people were like, what the, what the hell is he doing? You know, and, and I thought, well, he's, he's clearly trying to do something, and you shut a minute and a half gap first time. Pino came with you. Can you talk about that whole Pino in, interaction? Because. You shook his hand when he came back and then you attacked him again. And, and I was just like, this is so disruptive. This is insane. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm applauding you here, but I've never seen anything quite like it. Can you just explain what went on on that day and, and, and your relationship with Pino there? Yeah, so uh, essentially Pino never left my back wheel for the, the first 60k of the race. Yeah. And on the flat, that's, that's just impossible. On the flat or climb, really, it's Pino like, it's, it's impossible to get in a break without getting a bit of a, a bit of a jump on him. So like really what I had to do, like we got Magnus in the break and I just waited until, until the break was there. The teams had all settled down and, you know, Pino was comfortable sitting with FDJ and, and not, not on my back wheel anymore. And I just gave it a dig. Um, you know, I, I felt like I had nothing to lose and yeah, Magnus was in the break. So if we needed to drop him back to help me, we could have, and, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to go go down without without at least trying, and maybe it was some people call it a bit of fantasy cycling, but uh, yeah, why, why not give it a go and and see see how it turns out? Um, and so yeah, I, I attacked, and yeah, Pino was was yeah super strong and was able to to bridge back up to me, and I shook his hand. Uh, to, yeah, to to just, you know, this is yours now, but. Yeah, I, I didn't think I was going to attack again, but then I was like, oh, why not? And maybe, maybe it was a little bit bad that I shook his hand with, and then still went again. But it, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't planned to shake his hand to think to try and make him think that uh, I wasn't going to go again. But sure, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't yeah. think that was the case. I just thought that was the end of that hostilities, and you often see that. But there's, and this is what's why I wanted to talk about it, Ben, because it's um, it's. It, First and foremost, it's it's you know we we are not we but 
this modern peloton slowly are are kind of putting the unwritten rule book through a shredder. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just and and there are still a lot of unwritten rules that will remain, and that's respecting the peloton and making sure that riders don't crash and pointing out holes, all that sort of stuff, you know, and certain places to take a piss and all that, you know. But but what I liked about what you did, you were completely unafraid, and and there's a lot of riders that are doing that sort of thing, and and I know that um, it upsets certain riders, but you know when the when the order changes and when you've got new riders coming through, change happens, and 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 I think rocking the establishment is massively important for the development of the sport, mate. And and I know there was one or two riders when you came back for the first time who were shaking their heads, and but then there was a couple that were like. And a lad I know very well, Rowan Dennis was laughing, but like I could see that was in a respectful way because you were just doing what you wanted. And you know what Rowan's like? He's like a, a never say die kind of guy, thinks very, very differently. It's quite disruptive in the way he thinks. But I think um, the disruptive nature of many elements of the race, including your part, is something to be applauded. Um, and I think you should do what you want, you know, as long as you're not um, taking people off. I mean, I think racing in a disruptive way is making the, the racing more exciting. What, what are your What are your thoughts on that? Is it something that you're consciously thinking about, or just getting out there and doing it? I mean, it's not something I'm consciously thinking about, but I'm thinking about what best suits me. Yeah. Um. And and that day, like, okay, maybe I would have never even made it to the break, but I was I wanted to try. Yeah. Um. And and whatever anyone thinks about that, I, I I'm not really too concerned about. And. I think everyone else like deep down does know that, you know, like people yeah. are unhappy with me doing it, but actually like that's only because they have to try harder and they've got nothing to uh, get. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and like it was Ineos that were getting upset, but you know, actually like when they really, when they we really think about it, it's because they were having to push hard on the Peloton and they just have to control the brake for 60 K. And I, I understand why they were upset, you know, and they're just trying to discourage me and, but yeah, I was just trying not not to to let it discourage me and, and still do what what I was planning to do. Yeah, and no, I, I think it's I think it's great. I, I think it gave us a lot to discuss, and 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 you're quite right. You you know the way it works, man. You you know the traditions, and you also know that that teams once the break goes, just want to sit on it, don't they? And 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 Ineos at that particular time defending Geraint's lead, they were several men down. So anybody else, because when you did go for the first time to get across that gap um it started the it kicked off the racing again didn't it big time it for for, for a while and it was it was it was just absolutely fascinating to to, to watch and um but uh, so i'm uh, from from one side i'm i'm quite traditional and i understand the frustrations of Ineos on that particular occasion but from a um somebody who's has watched the sport evolve over the last couple of decades and then the last couple of years in particular i i, I think that never say die attitude and, and that unpredictable style of racing, thinking a little bit differently and and not thinking about convention and thinking about expressing yourself is massively important, mate. And and it's clearly something that, although you went against, um, not exactly team orders, there was a suggestion by TJ and you did your own thing. It, it, it does, it tells me that, that the team are quite open to a, a two-way discourse, mate. You know, it's not just about the DS is saying this, although obviously if they have a plan, I, I guess there's a, it's democratic and there's an agreement, but that that's always fluid, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I think it's uh, it's always a discussion. And they, they, it's always, uh, and, and normally I ask the riders first before they, they put their input, you know, and obviously they always have something to say about, about what we're thinking, but... Uh, 
yeah, it's it's an open discussion, and and yeah, we've we've all raced bikes for uh, the DS is for for a lot longer than us, but uh, yeah, uh, everyone understands how the racing works. I think a little to a certain extent, and and we all have our own ideas, and and really like I, I'm still quite new to the DSs as well, so it's I I understand how I can race maybe a bit bit better than they they understand sometimes you know like in yeah. a traditional sense yes like you'd leave it to the last climb and you you attack with the last climb but actually for me i know that's that's not the best way i can race um yeah. and yeah and i think they're starting to to understand that about me as well no it, it it's fascinating to have seen and that's the, the, the one of the main reasons uh, ben i wanted to get you back on the pod because when we spoke you were last year uh, roughly 14 months ago you were in your first few races and just looking forward to getting opportunities and doing it and, and hopefully doing a grand tour, which obviously um, you, you ultimately did and was, <laughs> and was successful in. But going back a little bit to the end of last year and, and the learning that you and the experiences that you took from 2022 into 2023, and also coupled with the fact you were 21 and then into 22 years of age and, and the physical changes that happen, that still at that sort of age did you notice something significant that changed about you um in the winter period and and from the from the back end of last year moving into this year did you feel physically stronger and, and i ask you that because again i have to use myself as an example not that i was anywhere near your standard but um when i was young i would look after myself train hard but 19 20 21 22 23 each winter coming out of the winter into the following season i felt like a different rider and i did feel physically different did you feel that at all yeah i think i think to a certain extent definitely because you know just joining the the, the world tour team like i i moved country i changed apartment i was yeah doing all this like new stuff and i think i didn't realize at the time how much of an effect that actually had on me right and just like the whole structure of everything that i was doing and it kind of took away from the focus of the bike. Whereas this this winter, like everything was already set in place. From and all I was doing was focusing on training, focusing on eating well, yeah, just doing all the right things. And then I turn up to January training camp, and like if you look at me from the first January training camp to the January crate training camp this year, I was a I was a different rider. I think that the team saw I was a different rider, and yeah, I, I felt like I was a different rider, you know, um, and. Like I knew I'd got better, but I also didn't know to to what extent because you know it is still only training camp and yeah yeah it, it, even in that first Mallorca race at the start of the year it was uh, that that kind of got the ball rolling yeah because that that was that was your first race wasn't it Trofeo Calvia wasn't it where you got where you got on the podium and that's a nice way to start the year isn't it it's okay I'm clearly I'm clearly going all right and then you just just kept backing it up didn't you uh, with the first first win. On um, on stage three in uh, the Setamana uh, Copia Bastoli, which was uh, a big win. I mean, how did that actually feel? We don't need to go through the whole race, but that must have been uh, massively important for your first big pro win, mate. Yeah, that was uh, it was it was amazing. You know, like especially because I just broke on my hand a few weeks before. It was like, you know, I haven't just lost all this all this gain in the winter. I've actually uh, yeah done the work right, and um, I'm where I need to be. Just before we we head into like the Ardennes, as it were, uh, Liège, Amstel and Brabant, which were kind of astonishing rides. Um, apart from the natural progression that you clearly made, which which you've, you've just touched on, 
Was there anything specific that you changed about your training off off season, mate? Did the, did you do anything new, or was it just a continuation of what you'd done before? But all the foundations were there, and like you said, there was a you had consistency, a sense of place in terms of not moving house, that you knew what team you were running for, all that sort of stuff. Was there anything that you uh, particularly worked on that you felt you needed to, or was it quite a a, a normal winter for you? Yeah, I think it was just that continuation of uh, of the last year, and just like like really like being confident and knowing what I needed to do. Um, Cause I, I kind of found that I was getting like things in place in the, the second half of, of last year that, that made me tick. And it was just, yeah, doing those things and, and really dialing in on them and uh, doing them consistently. Yeah. They clearly, clearly reap dividends, but I think how much of a surprise was it? I mean, you, second in Brabant, but then second in Amstel gold. And I mean, when you're looking at monument distances here, so Brabantapil is a big race, runner-up in that, but then to go and get runner-up in Amsterdam, that's a different level now. And the way you rode that one and 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 dropped your old your old teammate Tom Pidcock, I mean, I was watching that thinking, wow, that's a that's a punchy move there. And I thought, oh, oh, he actually has dropped him and he's just riding off to try and catch Tade. You know, the feelings that you had on that day were, were they. Did you expect them? Because that extra 50K, when you get to monument distance, we all know is it sets you in a different, it's a different strata of riders that can perform at the very top level uh, over those sorts of distances. Was that, were you nervous going into the final in Amstel or, or, or did you expect to feel as strong as you did or did that come as a, as a gentle but pleasant surprise? Yeah, I think it was a, a pleasant surprise really. Yeah. Um, I made that break and I was just like, I'm sitting on here. I'm not, I'm doing the absolute minimum work possible. Yeah. yeah. You know, Pogaccio, Peacock's in this group. And, you know, that's what I did. I just, I just sat on and uh, didn't, didn't spend too much energy. And then when it started kicking off in the final, uh, yeah, I, I had the legs. And, and when I was with, with Peacock and Picaccio as well, I, I think I, I had that luxury to also say, I'm, I'm not doing any work here, which, which definitely helps me in the long run. You know, it's, yeah, I think if you if you spend your energy early, then you don't have it in the final. And uh, I was just conserved, 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 and yeah, we're still able to to keep going in the final. And it's it's something that's kind of been uh, similar in the past as well. It's I, I kind of get better as races get longer. Um, the more attritional and and harder days are, uh, yeah, I can just just keep going. And and frankly, it's the same in the uh, six hour monuments as well. And that was like my first my first six hour race, so it was all all new to me. And yeah, to to go into the final and and still be be feeling that good was uh yeah, it was amazing, really. Yeah, it was great to watch, mate. It it really was. And then you, you backed that up again in in Liège with, with an incredible like fourth fourth place there as well. It's been a, a quite astonishing first part of the year, and we'll we'll look forward a little bit in a minute. But what so what's next? for you um this season ben do you know exactly what your calendar is going to involve you clearly enjoying a nice bit of bit of a break at home and what is next yeah so i've got i've got two big goals for this year i think um another two big goals and i'd like to go pretty hard for worlds yeah um hopefully yeah i've had a good break now so hopefully we can uh turn that around but yeah and then then to finish off the year with a lombardia as well would be uh yeah real nice yes indeed well you were I wonder if it does it finish in in Bergamo this year. So it'll be the same location where you were second in the Giro, isn't it? I think. I think yeah, because yeah, I, I'm not sure, but it could be. Yeah, it swaps around. It, it 
basically starts and finishes in Bergamo or Lagama and it swaps every year. So I think it's, uh, yeah, we finished actually at Como. So it does, it will finish in Bergamo, mate. So that the last final will be over through um, the last 10 or 15 Ks will be the same as the Giro stage, mate, um, for uh, Lombardia. So y- you'll like it, mate. It sh- should be, yeah. it should be, it should be good. But right, um, we're coming, I've kind of lost count because we, we had our little um, break at, at midway through, mate. But do you remember in our podcast last year when you had, we had the Dudley quiz, do you remember it? Vaguely. Yeah, I remember the Dudley quiz. <laughs> now, first off, there's- <laughs> I got a lot of stick. Did you? Well, there's an apology because yeah. because you you're actually from uh, Kings Winford, weren't you? Aren't you? Yeah. N- not Dudley, so that, so that was problematic. <laughs> but so I'm afraid, Ben. What we're going to do? We're going to revisit the Dudley quiz, but I'm going to ask you exactly the same question to see how well you've retained that information. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, with w- without further ado, mate, it's time for a, a nice um, well, a nice jingle. It's time for the Dudley quiz yo, yo. again. What's up? You all ready? Uh-uh. Let's do it. Uh-uh. Turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Dudley quiz. Right. Um. So cards on the table, mate. I've just found my old notepad from last year, and I'm going to ask you exactly the same questions. Um. To see how well. Um. This sort of thing stays in the memory. So, are you ready, mate? Are you Are you confident or not very confident? <laughs> Uh, a middle. I, I don't think I did too bad last year. No. It was a uh, you got fifty percent question. You got fifty yeah, percent. You did all right, mate. You did okay. It was just my, my general knowledge will uh, get me through. Yeah, and and also I think you might actually. It's funny, isn't it, how the mind works? Although you think you've forgotten something, when it's when you're reminded, it comes it comes back to the forefront. So this could be quite an interesting science experiment as well in, in the, the way that your mind works, which you could learn from perhaps, uh, or perhaps not. Anyway, right, so question number one. Remember, it's multiple choice uh, in the Dudley quiz where you weren't born. Right, so, so what famous rock and roll band, uh, what famous rock and roll band's album cover features a photo of Dudley's Eve Hill Arena? Okay, is it A, the Sex Pistols, B, Black Sabbath, C, Led Zepp, or D, Dire Straits? Uh, Led Zeppelin. Correct, mate. Ah, oh, there's no mucking about this time, mate. Well done. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> Did you... Yeah, that's the one I got a stick for, because, uh, yeah, they're from Dudley, aren't they? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. from the Holland, you're not know Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. So, so, that, so you can breathe easy now. So, um, and I... I'm not going to tell you if you got this next one right or wrong, but anyway, what Scottish town, city, is Dudley twinned with? A, Fort William, B, Girvan, C, Livingston, D, East Kilbride. Oh, yeah, that's sad, isn't it? That's A, Fort William. Correct, mate, and, and you got it correct last time, so oof. 100% flipping it. This is good. Right. Okay. Um, all right. This was this was a funny one. Um, on what street in Dudley is Poundland situated? Okay. Is it on... So the Poundland in Dudley, on what street? Is it Lays Road, A, B, High Street, C, Pensett Road, or D, John Street? Let's go for the, the high street. That's what you went for last time. It's correct, mate. Oof, you're flying <laughs> through, mate. You're flying through. 
Well, if you can get this next one right, which is quite a strange question, because um, it's not really something that you'd order ordinarily know. It's more of a guess. But anyway, I'm not going to tell you if you got it right or wrong, but here it is. Question four. When the National British Road Race Championships finished in Dudley um, in 1989, what colour Rudy Project sunglasses was I wearing? <laughs> was it A, orange, B, green, C, purple, D, yellow fluoro? Oh, this is for, what, team, what team he was riding for uh, I was riding for the Hemel Hempstead Cycling Club mate and and, uh, the, and I was only 19 but there was no there was no real uh, like colour coordination going on at all um, put it that uh, way so there were just ones I'd seen riders using the Tour de France which I really liked um, but you did get this right previous time mate you did get this oh, right what's so, the, the floral ones is that your final answer yeah yeah Unfortunately, it's the wrong answer. It's oh, purple, no. mate. It's purple, <laughs> oh, mate. So, oh, 100%. so you, you, you so you, yeah. Basically, though, you've got seventy-five percent, um, which is an improvement of twenty-five percent on last year. So, round of applause for Ben Healy. Thanks very much indeed. Well, um, Ben. Yeah, um, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. And apologies for um, for going back um, and revisiting that quiz. I just couldn't be kind of bothered really doing a new one. And I thought it'd be an interesting experiment with you being the first person back on um, on Matt Stevens Unplugged. Right. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about just briefly about the, your 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 coach and 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 coaching at the moment because I've been speaking to a few riders about the change in landscape of racing and the way the racing is far more aggressive, um, unpredictable, flat stick from start to finish a lot of the time. Um, so conventions, previous conventions and previous thinking in terms of fueling strategies are now being thrown out the window. And, and because of the, the heavy workload in races, it's race programs are having to be adapted because it takes longer to recover. How would, is, is that a topic of conversation that's going on at EF, mate? And, and how are you involved in that? How are you coping with this new dynamic? Although, you're a very young rider and you haven't, this is kind of, I guess, what you're used to. Have you noticed these kind of shifts yourself? Um, I mean, I've always had the same coach for, yeah, like six, seven years now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, for me, like my training um, it hasn't really changed too much. And we've always like approached with a mentality of, of like never do too much, you know, like it is, it's interesting. We were speaking after the, the classics, it's like, I don't think he's ever actually set me a ride over five hours in my training peaks. Wow. You know, like I've, of course I've done rides like training rides at like six hours because, you know, sometimes they go longer or like team camps and stuff like that. But, you know, we've always been like on the low hours and just really focus on the, on the correct work and, and recovering correctly after races and, and stuff like this. So I guess that's probably uh, something that's a little bit, a little bit different to the norm. But yeah, with the race calendar, I'd say so. Last year was actually a little bit different for us because because of the points we were. It's not about uh, peaking for for big races. It was really just trying to collect as many points as possible. But hopefully, yeah, now we can we can start to think about only really targeting those big races and and doing what's right for those those big races. And as we're we're racing better as a team now. Yeah, I mean it's. Just looking back, I know before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the Tour de France Unchained, and and there was um, 
I've only watched the first five episodes. I've got to watch the other, the last three. But the bit with uh, JV, um, I think it's the opening episode actually, talking about EF and the fact that they were, I mean, you weren't obviously there at the tour, but talking about the fact he hadn't had a brilliant season in terms of wins or points scored and that it could you know, dramatically affect what went on. And then, of course, uh, Magnus went and won a stage and you had um, some other very good places um, and, and things shifted. But what was that like, actually? Because it's you've, you've had an amazing start to the year across the board. You've had, is it, no, it must be sort of 12, 15 wins now for the team. It's a real, there's a lot of wins across the board, isn't there? But um, what was that like living with that tension last year, um, knowing that you guys had to score points and being a part of a team that was struggling to survive? Yeah, it it wasn't that fun to be honest. Like we were going to races with the, without the the target to win them, but to score as many points as possible. Right. And uh, yeah, that's just not how how anyone wants to race. But it was how we were forced to race. Sure. And uh, yeah, you could you could feel the tension in the team because you know if we if we didn't score these points, then the team wasn't going to exist the year after. And uh, that's that's a burden for for not only the riders but all the staff as well. And um, yeah, it was a. a uh, yeah, it was a struggle, and just frankly, yeah, we managed to, to score the points. In the end, we were actually uh, actually quite safe. Yeah, I mean, so coming coming in through survival for another three years. At the, when I say survival, it sounds really like like awful, doesn't it? But survival at World Tour for another three years is secured, and you can go back to racing where you want to. Um, what do you think changed then in terms of your success this year? I mean, I know you can't speak for other riders individually, but you must have picked up at team camps, general atmosphere and races, something different within the team because the team this year, and there haven't been a lot of big shifts. Richard Carapaz has come across, but in terms of the core group of riders, it's a very recognisable bunch of riders that have been with the team a few years now, isn't it? So there's not a lot, a lot that's changed, but what do you think shifted this year that, that saw the squad um, do so well as a collective so early. I just think it was a a big kick on the bum. Really, it's like nobody wanted to be in that situation again, and uh, everyone pulled their fingers out and was super motivated this winter, and and just really wanted to to do everything right to perform. Yeah, and and yeah, and you, the atmosphere, the training camps were different, you know, and but then not only not only the riders, it was the, the team as it as a whole as well you know the the staff didn't want to be in that position again and they were really looking at, at where they could improve with like you know like training camps the uh, the time of when we're getting kit all our race equipment and just everything has, has stepped on and uh it's, it's continuing to do so now as well so yeah jv uh sat us down and uh, gave a big presentation at training camp and his objective this year was for us to be a be a top five team in the world and that's that's pretty ambitious, you know. And to achieve that, I think the the, the team as a whole really has to take a, a big step forward. And I think, yeah, behind the scenes, uh, they're being really proactive in in trying to make that change. Yeah, and it must be exciting for you to be a part of that. Now, I mean, uh, only twenty two, you're emerging as as one of the the leaders. And how are you how are you coping with that? I mean, again, not an out and out lead, but really, Ben, when you look at your results now, you. you you would class yourself as one of the leaders of, of EF education. I would. Um, and given that you're only 22, but that isn't a strange thing now. We've got very young riders who are team leaders now. Um, how how has, has that felt, that added responsibility? Now you've got some really meaty results under your belt and we're still on it. We've got the rest of the year, let alone the rest of your career yet. But how does that sit with you? Do you, because you'll be looked at, differently by the riders there'll be you'll be able to move around the peloton ever so slightly differently the 
you're not looked as this young neo pro who's who's this guy who's just chinned up the road and oh what now that you're, you're enormously respected, how does that feel for you? Are you do, do you quite enjoy that or are you just is it like water for ducks? Bang? What's it like? Yeah, I think uh, I haven't really thought about it, but you know, like when you actually say it, then like yeah. I, I'm kind of sat sat here smiling. Um, <laughs> so I think it's something that uh, yeah, it's, it's what I've always dreamt of. You know, I, I want to win some of the biggest races in the world, and and to do that, you've got to. Yeah, you, you need a team to to help you support you to do that, and uh, yeah, now I've kind of proven that that I can. Yeah, the team can go to races and support me to help me win races is a uh, yeah a real something that I look forward to, um, and hopefully I can uh, perform for the team and and yeah win win some big races. Yeah, well, just briefly, I want to ask you a, a couple of other things about. I, I just wanted to know a little bit more about. I'm, I'll have to get Magnus Court Nielsen on the pod. He's a, is a, as a rider and a person that's fascinated me for for years, really, especially his his hotel room reviews. But what's it like? Did, did, who did you room with on the final stage of the Giro? Because you only had four guys left. So did you have a room each then or did you still share? No, we're still sharing. I was, uh, I was with Mag. And, and, oh, uh, actually, yeah. Uh, actually, we, we, did, uh, we did split up in the final hotel because uh, girlfriends had come in. So I ah, thought right. it would be a bit weird if... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's completely understood. So, but, but what what is... Uh, obviously, Magnus went away with a stage win as well on that. I mean, the day that he won, oh my God, that was an, another brutal, brutal day, wasn't it? The weather was just atrocious. And and on that day, um, the, the break works. They just broke the peloton. They just broke the will of the peloton. It was a quite a different dynamic, wasn't it? It was impressive to see. I thought they were going to get caught. They didn't. Um, but what's Magnus like to, to hang out with and, and to um, and to ride with and to and to spend sort of time with uh, on the road? Yeah, he's just a, a super chilled out guy, and uh, I think as a roommate, you knew it was uh, just really easy to get on with and, and there was never any pressure and it, I, it was just felt comfortable, which I, I think is what you want in a, in a roommate. And uh, yeah, and then for sure, he's a super knowledgeable and an experienced guy and giving me tips where he could. And, and yeah, that's something that I was, uh, for sure, for sure was taken with me and, and trying to use. So in terms of, and then obviously you've got Alberto Betty, they've got some real experience in the squad. Uh, how do you think, how do do you know how they perceive you? Because it has it has your success, your very quick success, come as a little bit of a surprise to some of your more established teammates. Yeah, I mean, I, I for sure, I, I guess it has. I mean, it's not something that really like spoke about, you know, like were they expecting it or not. But uh, yeah, I think they they definitely respect it and uh, they see the see the work that you that I've put in and and they know the work that you have to put into to get to that place. So. I think for sure they respect it and uh, are, are really willing to to help me, uh, yeah, do well in races. Oh, that's, that's very very cool. It, it's it's what it's wonderful position, mate. I'm just so glad that you've made these. Not glad. I'm just impressed, but also that all those all the promise you showed, all the big races you won is an under twenty three, a Lavenir and a Baby Giro and stuff, and uh, and, and now you've come very early on in your in your world tour career and, and got this success and it's and it, you've got an, a very exciting next few years lined up mate and um i just want to wish you all the very best and and in the immediate future the world championships uh, like you say in scotland i'll be up there in scotland as well looking forward to the first uh, super worlds for want of a, of a better word have you had a chance to do any recons up there yet ben and had a look at the course uh i've i've had a look on like Bellevue and stuff but i haven't got got to ridden it got to ride it but uh 
yeah, it looks like a pretty pretty punchy hard course and a bit of a circuit for the town. So I think it'll be quite an attritional race. Yeah, it looks like it would, mate, especially with the, with the weather that we know that Scotland can um, can deliver sometimes as well. Well, mate, it's been... i tell you what. Oh, there's a... Oh, no, there's an alarm. Go- Sorry, mate. Random question alert. I thought they'd turn Can't that off. God. Random question alert. Sorry, mate. It is time for a random question. Oh, um... We've we've had a bit of a break with the podcast, and um, just to sort of you know, just yeah, take a little short break. And they the guys at Sigma came with a big removal van and took the supercomputer away from the nineteen sixties. And I thought, but but they refurbished it, installed it the other week. But I didn't think they'd plugged it in. And it's it's given me another random question, mate, which you've got to answer. I'm afraid. So sorry. I thought I didn't think we we're doing this, but we are flipping it. Let me let's have a little look. Right. Okay. So apologies, mate, to keep you even longer. Right, the random question is, um, Ben, um, if you could have any superpower, but only for an hour (laughs) every Tuesday, what would it be and why? But bear in mind, for an hour every Wednesday, your biggest enemy would have the same superpower. So choose wisely. (laughs) I mean, mean, uh, flipping it. This must be artificial intelligence just generating this question because that's a weird one, mate. But um, there you go. So any superpower, (laughs) only for an hour on a Tuesday, what would it be? But bear in mind, your nemesis, whoever whoever that is, um, would have that same power on a Wednesday, mate. So what would it be? Mm. Mm. Oh, it's... All right, let's keep it cycling related then. I'm going to go... Like, weight loss is, is a bit of a struggle for me, so, you know, just have, like, an hour on a Tuesday where I can eat whatever I want and there's no consequences. And then, also, like, if my, my enemy's doing that, then I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue for me. That's a, that's a really good one. I think a lot of people would like that because a lot of people, you know, you know, we love food and I know you've, you guys have got to be particularly careful. Um, what a good one because, like you say, yeah, I mean, imagine the, the morale boost you get from that, but also you wouldn't adversely be affected by your nemesis. Do you know who your nemesis might be? Because <laughs> I'm trying to... <laughs> or maybe we should stay, stay clear of that, uh, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, uh, there's a few guys getting aggressive in the peloton, so uh, yeah, I've maybe made a few. Um, I'm, I'm sure, mate, I'd, I'm sure that'll calm down, mate. It's, it is interesting, isn't it? I think, I think you're... This wide-eyed wonder with which you've hit the racing scene at, you're just getting stuck in, doing things a little bit differently. And, and, and obviously it does rub people up the wrong way a little bit, but that's the very nature of, of sport as as it moves on. And it doesn't mean it's disrespectful. It just means it's different. And as you say, if you make people feel uncomfortable in a bike race, they've just got to deal with it. And, um, you know, a lot of conventions are very important and you've got to earn, but, and earn respect, I guess. But when you look at the results that you've already got this year, um, without obviously getting out there and just wanting to wind people up. That's not what you're doing. You're just wanting to express yourself, mate. So my, my advice would be is that I think you're going to be fine. Just keep doing what you're doing and, and enjoy yourself, express yourself. And um, I'm sure that, that kind of thing will um, will calm down, mate. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Matt. Definitely, mate. Definitely, mate. Right, well, uh, I'm going to leave you to it. Ben, thanks very much again for coming on the pod, mate. Sorry we had a few communication issues earlier on. Everybody here, when I say everybody here, there's just me, actually. I was going to say everybody here, like I was in a studio full of people. <laughs> so everybody at Sigma Sports wishes you all the best for the future, mate. And um, and hopefully I'll bump into you on the road at some point, uh, maybe in Scotland. You t- take care of yourself, mate. Cool. Thanks. You too. 
Awesome stuff. Now, since we recorded this podcast, this actual uh, Ben Healy 2 podcast, he has signed a new multi-year contract with EF Education Easy Post. So massive congrats to him on that one. And then, get this, he went on to win the Irish National Championships again, this time with a 100, yes, you heard it right, 100 kilometer solo break. Absolutely nuts. His career is progressing so fast that we'll have to have him on every episode just to keep us updated. This podcast was produced by the rather lovely uh, Nar Gaffney on behalf of Hot Chili. Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to your cycling friends or if you know who Ben's arch nemesis might be, let them know they'll be able to eat whatever they want with no consequences for an hour every Wednesday. And finally, a massive thanks again to Ben for joining us on the podcast today. Best of luck for the World Championships and for the rest of the season. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.